0: Alrighty, welcome to the Celtics Live Podcast. Brought to you by Prize Picks, our new presenting sponsor. You can download the Prize Pick app today. Use code PLNS for your first deposit match up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. So, welcome to the Celtics Live Podcast, where we are going to answer big questions about the rest of the season for the Boston Celtics. And to do that, we welcome in friend of the podcast from the First of the Four podcast and Backdoor Cut, Jake Eisenberg. Jake, how are things down under?
1: Things down under are excellent. Uh, summer is coming so yeah, summer's coming to an end, so the days are getting a little shorter. But hey, it's a, it's a beautiful time in my life. The sun is shining. The Celtics are historically dominant. Not really anything else I can ask for. Yeah. Do we know why Isaiah Thomas was down in Melbourne? Um, I was actually, I literally had to go to New Zealand at that week that he was here and he like came down to like pretty close to where I live. I was very upset. I wasn't able to kind of cross paths. Um But I'm actually not sure why he was here. I kind of avoided uh, looking at it because I didn't want to get too much FOMO. Okay. But I am, uh, I am very hopeful that he comes and plays for the NBL because I think that, I think it's time for him to kind of maybe let the NBA dream go and um, join. Uh, I actually, I actually on that flight to New Zealand, Aaron Baines was on my flight. Ooh, um, wow, get out of town. All of yeah, all of Australia, the Brisbane Bullets, he plays for now. And uh, watching that basketball team get on the plane in uh, economy with me was quite hilarious. And I actually had a chat to him. I asked him to come on the podcast. He was very nice. Uh, he's a giant individual. I've actually never stood next to anyone that large uh, and had a conversation before. But yeah, get IT down here.
2: Cool, love
0: it. Uh, I'll just share a quick Australia story and then we'll do the podcast. <laughs> when I moved to Australia, I went to look at an apartment in the. First apartment, my friends and I looked at someone wearing an Isaiah Thomas Celtics jersey. Was also looking at that apartment. So
1: there you go. That's a good sign,
0: I think. Yeah, the King of the Fourth would be the King of Australia, I suppose. (laughs) All righty. Anyways, Jake, you were here. Uh, I suppose we could keep talking about Australia, but we were going to talk about the Celtics as we want to do. So, Alex and Justin, hello. We will talk about the news quickly. We will talk about what's been up with the Celtics, but really, We're here to talk about 10 big questions we have for the rest of the season. So, Alex, Justin, Jake, quickly, uh, Boston's been on a tear. They've won eight straight. They've got a bunch of big games coming up, a lot of which are on national television. I'm pretty sick and tired of talking about Jason Tatum, MVP discourse, (laughs) and like the quality of the discourse, and then what's anchoring the discourse. So I'm not going to talk about it. You guys can talk about it. But Jake either the past 8 games or looking ahead what has you excited about the Boston Celtics right now
1: yeah i mean the the mvp thing in general is is a little ridiculous i, I mean you watched the game yesterday you nuggets warriors it's jokic and everybody yeah. else it doesn't really matter so um, as long as he's like in the top 5 and makes first team or nba i'm not going to be upset really uh, either way but i mean no matter what, what way you slice this thing the celtics are looking like far and away, the best team in the East. It's like the East is not even close. And then from a macro perspective, even at the West, like they're just playing at a level that no one in the league has really been out of touch from start to finish. And um, I'm not sure the rest of uh, the national media has really accepted that fact. And even some Celtics fans, I think, are hanging on to some PTSD of the last two years. But this team is not that team. I was looking at a variety of numbers today just like turnover numbers in that 22 finals middle of the pack. They're like top three, top five this year. Like no matter what metric you use, this team is dominant both ends. And that's, that's the story. Yeah. Alex, uh, eight games is the
0: longest winning streak the Celtics had this season. Tomorrow they could push it to nine against the Sixers or they'd be eight of their last time, which is pretty good. So same question to you uh, either in the recent past or the not too distant future. What are you thinking about when you think about the Celtics?
3: Um, What I'm thinking about when I'm thinking about the Celtics is the same thing that I've been thinking about all year, which is this team is really freaking good. Um, I will be very interested to see what happens over this next stretch in particular with some high-quality opponents. And this really is kind of the last – the beginning of the last stretch of kind of really challenging opponents this year for Boston. I think what I'm thinking about is – What is late game execution going to look like in some of these games when they are tight? Uh, Because that is the only kind of remaining checkmark for this team other than health is if they can figure out how to put a good team away in a close game. And it's not like they aren't able to do that at all. They've had moments this year where they've done that. But can they do that consistently against a, a number of quality opponents? I mean, Dallas is red hot right now. Uh, The Warriors have picked up steam after a really tough start. Cleveland is second in the East. Denver is Denver with Jokic, the MVP, best player in the world. You know, Phoenix has had a ragged year, but they still have Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. Are you going to be able to put away some of those teams in what are certainly going to have at least a couple of close finishes? Because if you can do that, then to me, the, the only other question is, are they healthy at the right time?
2: All right. And Dr. Quinn, round the horn. What do you think? Honestly, I think, and this is a testament to how good the Celtics are. The most interesting question left, and we could talk about this more. And we will talk about this more shortly. Is just how Joe Mazzulla, now that he's had a full season to institute his system, and now that he's sitting literally pretty at the top of the Eastern Conference standings with an, I think almost an eight-game lead, a seven and a half. Uh, game lead over the cavaliers Uh, how is he going to finish this season because he really could do it any which way he wants to and we're going to really see what he values as a coach
0: yeah one of the things he he said before ulster break was he was going to look at the remainder of the schedule look for strings of games that have similar themes and then find ways to practice different things and i might ask him to see what themes he came up with because that's such an interesting uh, the teacher in me like finds that brilliant because I, I definitely play it like week over week um shout out to my students who are doing their thesis essays on world war one this week so jealous uh, interesting word. oh man uh, as much as let's uh, you know what's more fun than a podcast about the boston Celtics is a podcast about world war I. Um, Oh man
3: that would be a dangerous podcast for me cameron i'm not sure <laughs> why
0: well, you got world war one takes you on it oh get out i here? have so many world war one takes dog <laughs> <laughs> well, hit us. What's your hottest World War One take? Oh yeah, the Celtics have an eight-game lead in the East. We don't need to talk about the Celtics. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh,
3: the hottest World War One take that I have um, is that uh, you should not ever, ever, ever bank uh, your country's future on a line of succession that is super volatile, especially when the only other alternative is uh, a gerontocracy um, collapsing at the same time. Also, that the Ottoman Empire is the most interesting empire that's ever existed uh, on so many levels.
1: Hell yeah! Mm-hmm. So, so my, my, yeah, mine is just trench warfare. I think was ahead of its time. I think you might they got to start thinking about that again. I you're think, call, as you're as calling it, to bring it back, revised. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like the mid range. It's like. You know. <laughs> <laughs> analytics has gone too far
2: we we do talk about basketball if you're still listening <laughs> in the
1: that's brilliant that's a real hot take
0: <laughs> DeMar DeRozan, trench. Warfare, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah shout out to the gatling gun i suppose anyways let's talk into the lab um in terms of news isaiah thomas would like to join the boston celtics we don't know if that's gonna happen blake griffin seems like he's enjoying retirement uh, retirement. He hasn't officially retired. Yeah. Um, all right, let's pause the podcast because the action on the hardwood is heating up and you can get in on the excitement with Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app. App where you can turn your hoops knowledge into serious cash. So whether it is tournament season or the fight for playoff seating, there's no shortage of high-stakes basketball this time of year. And you can test your skills over on Prize Picks this season with the most exciting daily fantasy sports app around. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $1,000 just a few taps. They offer injury insurance. They offer all sorts of games. For daily fantasy, sports players, and basketball fans alike, that is the number one stop. So download the app today and use the code CLNS for a first deposit match up to $100. Pick more. Pick less. It's that easy. Pick prize picks. Okay, back to the podcast. The Celtics are good. Uh, Let's check back in and see if that changes. But that's that's the top-line story here. And what we'll do is we'll hop into the lab, the lab portion of the programming, where we get our hands dirty. Or rather, we don't. Put on your safety gloves. And we're going to answer 10 questions that we have cooked up for the remainder of the season. Some are juicy. Some are practical. Some are far-flung. Some are not. We do have to keep it brief because we get 10 of these. So I'll go around the horn. Um... Jake, you get the first one. I'll go around the horn, and if anyone wants to hop in after, they can. But without further ado, welcome to the lab portion of the programming. These are 10 questions for the rest of the season for the Boston Celtics. Question number one, can Jason Tatum sustain this level of play into the postseason? And if he does, will it be enough for him to actually get real MVP consideration? So Jake gets to go first. Use the guest.
1: I <laughs> <laughs> oh, appreciate that. Um, Jason Tatum, to me, is playing easily his best basketball of his career right now. The way that he's able to control the game and let the game come to him at the moment is something that I don't think he's had previously, which makes sense. He's still only 25 years old. But in the Bulls game and the Knicks game post-All-Star break, they were kind of similar in the sense that pretty quiet first halves. And you know he's typically been a guy that is quite early but it feels really purposeful at the moment where in the next game he goes three for five and then in the second half he just takes over he going to the rim the, the 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 force that he's playing with getting downhill the way he's able to bully guys this extra 12 pounds of muscle you can really feel it at the moment but the the playmaking to me that's the piece i think you know over the last 10 12 games averaging nearly seven assists the turnovers are down to about 2.3 on the season uh, last year, 2.9, and like that finals run uh, where they went, they played the Warriors, and he broke the record for most turnovers in a playoff run. Like he's just a completely different guy when it comes to handling the ball, playmaking, and I think that's going to be something that really, really moves the needle as far as being able to to collect playoff wins. And so if he's able to to continue reading the game like this and and playmaking at this level. I think he's easily going to finish in the top five. Uh, It doesn't seem like he's going to get the credit as as much as um, the Boston media. Stephen A. Uh, Who who else was it today? Was it Oh, Draymond Green? Draymond Green, the newest ally on the Jason Tatum MVP uh, tour, which, yeah, who would have seen these allies coming? But um, the the playmaking and the way that he's reading the game, to me, is at a completely different level. And that's really going to impact our ability to win in the playoffs. Dr. Ben, what were you going to say? Uh,
2: I was just going to ask uh, what we talk about at this level of play, what we mean when we say that level of play, but that could not have done a better job of that than Jake just did. Uh, so that answered the question that I had. Um, beyond that, I just think that the way that the award has been awarded, the way that the race is uh, broken out with – Jokic and other candidates and be lurking out there disqualified yet also putting up massive numbers. There's all these different things pulling in the wrong direction for Tatum. So I do think that, yeah, he's definitely finishing in the top five, but I think he's going to need to exercise those demons on the stage of the finals before he gets what he should be getting as a fair shake in that race. They should not be taking that into consideration, but he's not wrong about people holding that against him. I mean, they've come out and said it as such.
0: I'll uh, recommend the podcast that we released last week where I talked to Tim Bontemps about how voters think. And and we agreed, like, it's there isn't a rubric. And so it leads to how certain players make you feel, among other things. And so Tatum is on the hook. The ironic thing is if Tatum wins a title this year, let's say, he's going to be in line then to be in the MVP conversation for the next few years. And if he has another... Uh, mediocre performance I think voters are going to continue to hold that against it because Jake to your point it's Jokic and it's not even close I mean the way that that dude plays basketball is unbelievable Um, and then the competitors in the field like SGA the story is more compelling and new and interesting Um, Luka and Kawhi have uh, compelling cases too so Tatum has a lot to overcome even with forgetting about the previous seasons Um, but certainly I do think his level of play is sustainable because, hello, he plays for the best team. He doesn't need to play like an MVP every night. That's the whole problem for his MVP candidacy. As if uh, Porzingis goes for 30 and Tatum goes for 20, it doesn't matter to the Celtics. They have so many weapons. He doesn't have to be the MVP every night.
3: I'm going to just push back on that only a little bit in that I think actually a big part of how Brad Stevens designed this team in the offseason was building a team that would allow Tatum to maximize his game. At the highest possible level all this is to say from the shot making and from the scoring i i agree he doesn't need to have the same kind of scoring burden but if you look at the playmaking the assists the defense the lack of turnovers the rebounding all the other facets of his game that i think jake pointed out are kind of he's he's doing the best really he's ever done i think a lot of that is to a degree a byproduct of The fact that this roster is perfectly designed for Jason Tatum's strengths. The fact that, like, he can play a low turnover brand of basketball because instead of having to force difficult passes to, you know, non-shooters or to try and find shooters uh, when there's a lot of non-shooters on the floor, he can just toss the ball up to Kristaps Porzingis, who will take it and do something with it. You know, he can throw the ball to the best corner three point shooter in the NBA in drew holiday. If he needs to bail out of a possession, like this roster is so well designed to allow Tatum to play a higher level of floor game to be, you know, this super aggressive rebounding presence because Porzingis and drew and Derek white and Jalen are taking up space, boxing out, you know, to uh, play a super switchable fast paced brand of defense with a bunch of big wing defenders around him and Porzingis as a shot blocker. So I think Tatum is playing the best basketball of his career in a lot of ways, even if the scoring margin doesn't necessarily reflect it. But I do think at least some of that is also because of the roster design.
1: Yeah, um, absolutely. And I was just on, on the defense. I think if you're looking for one like narrative or, or a piece of propaganda to really prop up the Jason Tatum MVP narrative, I think it might be the defense because of all the top guys Tatum, I mean, Giannis is having a down year defensively. The Bucks, in general, obviously, they've been better lately. But of the top guys, Tatum's played the best defense of, of any of them but pretty comfortably to me. SGA's a good defender. But Tatum, I mean, you should in that Knicks game. He When he gets switched on to someone, he can switch to Brunson, you know, name the wing. He was even playing defense on Hartenstein. Like, this guy offers legit rim protection. Once he's guarding Embiid or Jokic, he can guard fives, he can guard Bam. He can switch onto onto anybody. He's an incredible help defender, like digging down at the nail, and he's so smart. There was one play in the Knicks game where um, there was a fast break. Josh Hart was going to the rim, and Drew Holiday did an awesome job contesting at the rim. And instead of Tatum going to help kind of uh, contest that, he sinks right to the corner where DiVincenzo, I think, was, and he just completely like he just steals it, goes back the other way. He reads the game defensively at a level that's really impressive and just enjoy, like, have all the perimeter guys in the league, the perimeter stars, like whether it's Anthony Edwards, good defender, but not the same off-ball defender that Tatum is, Devin Booker, Steph Curry, name the perimeter defender, I mean perimeter player, Tatum is easily the best perimeter defender of all the stars, Luca, I mean forget about it obviously, and so that's the, that's the piece right there where like, especially when he cranks it up, and he doesn't crank it up all the time, which why would he? Why should he in the regular season? But when he does crank that thing up, I mean, he's as good of a wing defender as you're going to see.
0: We did it. We did Tatum MVP discourse after all. Um, I will just say it is uh, it is fitting and historically prescient for a 25, 26-year-old to make the leap in their seventh season uh, around the age of 25, 26. So if people are just like foaming at the mouth for this. Check this out. It's possible he gets better this season. Um, There is a lot of historical track record for that. How's that? Okay, we got nine more of these puppies. So we don't need the whole panel to weigh in on each one. But Justin, there's other awards that they give out in the NBA at the end of the season. It's not just the MVP. Other than the Larry O'Brien,
2: are any Celtics in line to win major awards at the end of the season? Depends on what we mean when we say Celtics. If we mean Celtics players, I think there's maybe a very tiny, very tiny and unrealistic chance uh, for Derek White to win most improved player. But I think if there's a realistic chance for anyone in the Celtics organization to win, I think both Brad and Joe have decent chances for executive and coach of the year.
0: Wow. I hadn't even, I thought you were going to say Dep- defensive player of the year. And I was like, well, they def- that's definitely not happening. Yeah. Um, Wow, most improved. Let me get back to you on that one. And no one is allowed to talk about the all-NBA teams because we'll just do a whole podcast on that. Um, but Jake or Alex, any qu- quick thoughts on the uh, end of season? Wow, the most improved player. I, I forgot yeah. that that's an award. Maybe the, the
1: collect hey, player award one... for, for Derek White. I was going to say, you go ahead, Alex.
3: Oh, there's only one award that, so I I just want to talk about this one because this player is, I, and I've said this before, this player is not going to win uh, the award category of six man of the year. But Al yes. Harford is the best six man in the NBA, and I cool. don't think it's particularly close. I love Malik Monk. I love what he's doing as a scorer. You know, I think he's probably a locked favorite to win this award at this point. I think there's a lot of really good players uh, that are coming off the bench in the NBA these days. You know, Emmanuel Quickly, you know, uh, all these guys, you name it. Um, But Al Hartford is providing the most value of a bench player coming off of the bench in the NBA. He is not scoring the most points. He is not providing the best three-point shooting. And he's probably not going to play enough games to actually win the award. But if you're talking about just like total net impact of a guy coming off the bench from the defense, the rebounding, the three-point shooting, uh, you know, just like the passing, the and really the ability to anchor what let's be real, would probably be a so-so pretty subpar bench without him. Like Al Horford is the best six man in the NBA. He's not gonna win the award, but he is the best six man.
1: I'm so glad that you said that. That was one I was going to. If we cared about basketball past, like who's scoring the most for six man of the year, it should easily be Al Horford. Kevin Love did get like a few votes a couple of years ago when he was with Cleveland, I think it was. But I would be shocked if Al Horford gets up there. I I would. Maybe this is the podcast that does it. But like, you know, he's not even on uh, FanDuel as an option to, to bet on. And he is easily the most impactful six man in the NBA. Um, no question to me.
0: Well, that's why we moved on to uh, prize picks. Uh, Ahmed, <laughs> if you could just down on the banner here, add Al Horford six-man question mark. That's how yeah. we'll get the, uh, the thing going. Okay, Alex. Justin, I changed the prompt to something more positive. The question, the first draft said, how many games will the Celtics lose? But Alex, how many games will the Celtics win? You're, you're on me. It's
3: mute. mute. This is a good question. I was taking a look at uh, some of the things, uh, the schedule as it kind of goes ahead and it's tricky because you have to balance the strength of schedule, the quality of opponent, and also like what happens if Boston locks up the one seed with, you know, 10 games remaining, which I think is entirely possible at this point, depending on how this next stretch goes. Um, So the best case scenario for the celtics and i'm just pulling the standings up right now on my phone uh but the best case scenario for the celtics is in a wildly unrealistic world where they win every single remaining game that they have um they would be then yeah right exactly uh they would then be 70 and 12 which would be very very good i do not think the boston celtics are going to go 70 and 12. Uh, I also do not think that uh, the Boston Celtics are going to go their counterpoint, which would be what, 45 and if if they don't win a game for the rest of the year, it would be like 45 and 37. Yeah, Um, I don't think that's going to happen either. I feel like it would be right down the middle, somewhere in there, assuming that they continue to win games, but that towards the end of the season, they start to give. Porzingis a game off here, Al Horford a game off there, give Drew Holiday, so? et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, more so than they do. Even so, that's still like right in the range of 60 to 65 games, which is crazy because this team, like, like that's, that's really, really good. I am taking the conservative estimate of, I think the Boston Celtics are going to win like 62 games this year, but that feels conservative. And the fact that that feels conservative is kind of outrageous.
0: Yeah, so uh, going into this game Tuesday, they're on pace to win 64.7 games this year, and they have the 28th easiest remaining schedule. So, I mean, Alex, you laid it out. Like, there is a world where they don't even need to lift off the gas to crash into that 65-win threshold. And even if they lighten up, they could still clear 60 wins, no doubt. Jake, anything we missed from that?
1: No, I mean, the the over-under is set at 64.5 on... Uh, Fanduel, so Stop guys. mentioning
0: Fanduel, we're not supposed to talk about Fanduel anymore.
1: <laughs> <laughs> on Sportsbet in Australia, I'm not even able to bet on Fanduel anyway. Um, uh, I would be the probably. Yeah, that's the thing. So I, I think they're going to use this next stretch as like a playoff kind of tester. And I mean, I don't know if I'm not if I'm stepping on one of the other the questions here, but um, Tatum played 43 minutes against the Knicks. KP played big minutes against the Bulls. I my theory is that they're, you know, of those things that Joe Mazula um, you know is looking at as you said Cam like I think this stretch right here the, the Mavs the Warriors the Nuggets like this is a big national TV game stretch like good teams I think it, I think they're going to use it as a playoff game playoff stretch like testing some guys minutes a little bit and then they ramp down from there I think that they they're probably going to win. Good, good chunk of those games because that's how good they are. And then the schedule gets really easy. Ten of the, like, the last 19 games are against teams that are 500 or below pretty much. And they're just going to win all of those games. So it's, I think 65 is a, is a pretty good number. I'd love them to just like sneakily get to 67 to tie that uh, KD Warriors team. But um, we'll see. But there's got buy-in from up and down the roster. Like Even the guys like when Pritchard and Hauser and these guys come in and you start putting Tillman in. Just, and then like Tatum and Jalen are still going to play a chunk of games. You can't let the rust start to set in either. So, there's, I don't know. I, I I would go over on 64 and a half at this point.
0: Well, so I'll go to our next question to keep it moving, which is will they start resting players? And when should they start resting players? And Jake, I like that read a lot. Use this next stretch to yeah, you know, really see what you got. But then also, I don't know, like if the MVP thing is real, this is the moment where it would Materialize. They play in the second half of March. They have six straight road games, most of which are against teams that are bad and getting worse. I mean, oh my, my deepest prayers to Trey Young's little hand. I'm sure he's definitely injured. Um, so they they might not be able to lose games if they wanted to. I mean, part of these 155 point games that we've seen, the bench comes in and then outs, you know, like has the best quarter of them all. So uh, I think it's gonna be hard for them to really lift off. So I think soon enough they will rest players. I actually don't understand how Boston hasn't been uh, flagged for clearly circumventing resting players. I mean, every back to back Al Horford's toe is inflamed. What the hell? What What are the odds <laughs> of that happening? <laughs>
2: um, but that, whatever. The That one little wrinkle, uh, it's only, I think it's like players who have made all star within the last two years or, some other criteria that makes it actually a pretty small group of people. So that's how that happens.
0: But your point. Oh, okay. Well, then, prayers to Al Horford's toe, I guess, it must really be any. <laughs> huh? um, all right. So that's my take on resting players, and I'll I'll use that to transition to our fifth of ten questions. Jake, should Boston lean on its bench a little heavier to help rest the starters and to develop? Rotation players. So you get a I, I,
1: I have been a little surprised that we haven't seen Tillman yet, but that's probably because, like, the way that the trade deadline, like, the way that it's set in the schedule, it's like at the, towards the end of the All Star break, which gives me, like, way too much time to watch all this Xavier Tillman stuff and, like, <laughs> look into his finishing at the rim in the last three seasons, which has been good in the Florida range. And I'm like, oh my God, these switch everything lineups with Al Horford and, and Tillman at the four and the five, which I think is something they should, they could and should get to, but it's like, how do you slot? anyone into this rotation right now when Luke Cornett's been really good in his third big role. So I think they will get Tillman in there eventually. But um, my, my my sports science take as an elite athlete myself, obviously, is that um, rest in the – like right before the playoffs is going to be more valuable than like resting now. So like when people get upset that Tatum played 43 minutes yesterday or whatever – the, the rest you're getting in the next couple of weeks is not nearly as valuable as the rest that you're getting in the weeks right before the playoffs start, which is why there's like an inherent advantage against the the playoff teams because they're playing like playoff games for their life leading up to that and playing in the extra one or in the Celtics case for the eight seed will have played two extra games uh, in the play-in. So that's where I was hard to rest, guys, is like right in the last kind of week, week and a half. But like... You you gotta keep you gotta keep the bodies moving. You gotta keep these well oiled machines rolling.
0: Yeah, I mean, we sometimes we see coming to training camp guys get injured because they haven't they didn't stay fresh. So there's definitely a balance there. Um, I will say that while well, you mentioned Luke Cornette, Doctor Quinn, you've eaten crow on your Luke Cornette take, and I've eaten Big crow. on our I, I eating,
2: love how much I'm eating it too. It's freaking awesome. He was <laughs> he was not like i wanted him off the team like full disclosure <laughs> at, the, at the beginning no seriously at the beginning of the season because he was just like standing there watching things unfold not really like not, not even like not knowing his role not even guessing his role and he has come out and really shown himself to be not just a capable third center um i think he could actually if he continues to play this way be a backup center in the nba now i think he's actually gotten that good
0: yeah and i was i was gonna say i've eaten crow and peyton pritchard i thought they weren't gonna be able to keep him in the rotation and i'm i'm gonna ask this week about this this dog thing that they keep bringing up
1: i love it missoula
0: Missoula, tatum and brown have casually or very overtly said we got a lot of dogs on this team yeah and that can't be a coincidence but um peyton pritchard might be the biggest dog of them all dog He plays with heart um So shout out to Pritchard. Oh, also shout out to the Housers. Apparently they're expecting a baby in September. Oh, sick. Uh, A little puppy. Uh, All right. Um, Alex, I forget. Well, yeah, Alex, you can go. I forget the order. Uh, Are there any two-way players worth elevating this season? And we'll get to this. Boston does have a 15th open roster spot.
3: Are there any two-way players worth elevating this season? So what's interesting about this is that Boston kind of went out and addressed pretty much their exact two needs in the trade deadline in terms of another big body in Case Horford or Porzingis has to miss time in Xavier Tillman and um, another uh, kind of wing defender type in Jaden Springer. So really now it feels like that last 15th roster spot like whoever they bring up is almost certainly not going to play at all outside of garbage time like Svi Kailiuk and all those guys they still have uh minutes to burn and so the case for calling up a player uh from Maine to be on this next on the roster spot for that last spot is at this point purely vibes based who will bring the best vibe who will be the coolest dude in the locker room who will be the guy that players like the most and want to be around the most um and to that answer i have three possible candidates um but one of which i'm really really quickly is Nemish Keda still a two-way guy i believe he is right yeah okay so there are three guys that they could bring up in my mind that would fit this criterion uh Nemish Keda would bring good vibes because he actually played for the Celtics in spurts and you know he has some certain shortcomings to his game. If you get Nemesh in space, it's bad news for Nemi um, and everybody involved on the Celtics defense. But he seems like he's well-liked in the locker room. He brings a fun energy, and, you know, it's always nice to watch him just, like, maul somebody on the boards for a little bit. So the case for Nemesh vibes is that he can actually see the floor in a reasonable capacity um, for short spurts and players like that uh the second vibes case that I have is the vet vibes if we are looking for a solid veteran presence just another guy who has played in real NBA playoff games and who has actually had a pretty long career Tony Snell is the vet vibes guy on Maine Um, Tony Snell has been working really really hard to get back into the NBA for a variety of different reasons and we hope that works out um but you know Tony Snell's been a pro he's been in the league forever You know he hasn't exactly like lit the world on fire, but he's been a capable NBA like bench level player before. He knows what that's like. He's been in playoff games, and to that end, if you're looking for one more guy to like settle Sam Hauser down a little bit when things get a little crazy in the playoffs, Tony Snell probably the best of the main guys. The third vibes case for that final slot is if you just want energy, positivity, fun, and uh, you know a guy who seems really, really excited to be there. I am of course referring to Jordan Walsh as our third possible vibes guy. And again, Jordan Walsh, listen, I love what Jordan Walsh has been doing in Maine dunking all over people getting rebounds putting up numbers etc etc Jordan Walsh is not ready to be an NBA player at this point let's be very 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 clear about that he is probably two maybe three years away from being an NBA rotation player he has some tools he's not ready to play NBA minutes but Jordan Walsh vibes seem to be pretty immaculate. He seems to get along with everybody on the team. He brings that energy and the crowd goes freaking berserk when Jordan Walsh makes Mm -hmm. a play in garbage time. So of those three guys and their vibes cases, I, I leave it to you listener to decide. I personally would go with Jordan Walsh just because I feel like The garbage-time Jordan Walsh dunk really seals the deal on some electric performances from Boston, and I feel like the crowd goes nuts, and he's really well-liked in the locker room. Jordan Walsh is my guy, but if you pick Kata or um, Tony Snell, I won't be mad.
0: I I will just add to that that Jordan Walsh is the type of player that he's probably, I don't know, 19 or 20 years old right now. When he grows into his body a little bit and just – adds a little bit of mass, if not pure muscle, holy smokes. Uh, yeah. He's just he's he's got such long arms, he dunks so hard. That's gonna be great. Um, Justin, whether or not they elevate a 15th guy may or may not matter in the postseason because the rotation gets tight. So Justin, I'm gonna change our question a little bit and just ask you, who do you think of the featured bench players in the playoff rotation?
1: Oh, you're
2: on mute. Frozen and on mute. Still getting used to a new system, people. Bear with us. Uh, In terms of the the only bench players, let's be clear, the only bench players who are going to be playing other than in the middle of a series we're being blown out would be Al Horford, Peyton Pritchard, and Sam Hauser. There are no other bench players who are going to be playing significant minutes of any sort, in my opinion. Uh, Maybe Sam uh, Sam Hauser, Luke Cornett, but... I don't think there is going to be any surprises like joining the mix. There's I could see maybe early in the playoffs and against a specific matchup, some Xavier Tillman minutes, but that's really about it.
0: Yeah. That was the only pushback I was going to have is Tillman has real postseason experience and the defensive chops to hang in the playoffs. But um, I suspect you're right about that, but that's kind of what's fun about the playoffs is you don't have to worry about the 12th guy on the bench anymore. All right, I get question number eight, which is, what do we want to see from Joe to be confident in his postseason coaching? I think that last year he was really uncomfortable and he didn't feel confident. Um, And this year the conversations, I mean, the players themselves are so quick to say, we are doing so many more things this year. We were being asked to do so many more things. And we understand these many things that we're being asked to do. Specifically on defense, Boston is much more flexible and adaptive on defense, which I really appreciate. I don't think that we're going to see this prior to the playoffs, but I'm sorry. The the inability to stop Miami Heat's zone defense last year was absurd. And so I would like to see the Boston Celtics just dismantle the zone for a game or two before I feel super confident. It's going to be a really trendy take today, tomorrow, and the next few days to say that the Miami Heat are back and have arrived, and I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment because the Miami Heat have been bad prior to this point. But uh, to quote the great George W. Bush, you can't get fooled again. I'm not getting fooled again by these Miami Heat. <laughs>
1: oh, I'm and, with you, dude. Oh, you love George Bush?
0: <laughs> oh, well,
1: yeah. Huge fan. The GOAT, you know, if, if anyone's going to bring yeah, back trench wash Fair, it might have been, been George W. to bring that one back, but... um uh no, I I the heat I'm there at the top of my list of um teams that I like I'd be respecting that. Well the good thing about that though is we have dismantled the zone every time we've played them uh so far this year, three times, and that was kind of the whole point of Porzingis. Not only has he changed the team you know, as a whole, but like it felt like Porzingis specifically was built in a lab to dismantle this version of the Miami Heat team. You can't play a zone with Porzingis in there. You can't switch everything with Porzingis because he can I mean he can post up Bam, considering Bam's like 6'9, but like if you're going to if you're going to switch Bam, then the Heat are small. And and that's just not not a tenable situation. Uh it's hard to be like I'm going to be confident in Joe in the playoffs. If you're anti-Joe, you're just not going to be confident until you get there. But like I'm I'm a big fan of Joe, like it was one of those things where everybody was like, you know, really hard situation for a guy to be thrown into, like really pl- unkind of unprecedented for a coach to just be like, Hey, you're coaching the team and it's two weeks before fucking training camp starts. It's like, that does not, just doesn't happen. Um, and so, but then like, he still got all this, all this criticism, which was kind of deserved, but like very understandable. And he's been a completely different guy, like in every facet of his coaching and as like a personality, Behind the scenes, in, in front of the cameras, like just a completely different guy. And you see it even in the the most like two recent games against the Bulls. Uh, they were like the the Bulls were doing a good job of keeping smaller guys off of Porzingis in the first half, um, and he was taking his kind of post ups against Vucevic. And then they adjust in the second half, and they run this like double screen uh, action at the top, which led to Porzingis getting looks on smaller guys against the Knicks. The Knicks came out and like made it an emphasis to limit the Celtics three-point attempts. The 14 three-point attempts in the first half is just that's how you beat the Celtics is you limit their three-point attempts, and and then the second half they they take 21 and they completely adjust how they're playing. Uh, take that to the three-point shots haters, um, but that's how uh, and that's how we adjusted just in the last two games alone. Not to mention all the other things he's done for a macro level for this team.
3: I just wanna briefly jump in on the Miami Heat point because as you know, I have nightmares about Jimmy Butler uh, every night and he they are terrifying to me. Um, so um, <laughs> the the case for Boston should beat Miami, aside from the fact that last year they should have beaten Miami because they had a talent advantage, is a, as you very much laid out, Jake, You know, the Porzingis matchup problem for Miami is one that they really haven't shown much by way of solving. Um, I have another solution. For how to beat the miami heat uh, and it involves a player that was recently acquired uh at the trade deadline i am of course referring to xavier tillman what i really like about xavier tillman aside from the defensive presence and the size and the rebounding is that xavier tillman does not take any bullshit. and so to that point um xavier tillman You've been brought here to Boston to help win a ring. Uh, Brad Stevens clearly believes in you. Uh, You're big. You're strong. You are great at rebounding. You're great at defensive metrics, all sorts of things. Your real value for this team is when Jimmy Butler starts to do the Jimmy Butler thing, where he puffs out the big chest and he goes to the lane and he's starting to hit these pull-ups and he's yelling at people and getting in people's face and doing the Jimmy Butler thing that every team suddenly gets scared of in the postseason. Your job xavier tillman is to go out there and not doing anything dirty not doing anything flagrant that would get somebody hurt but give jimmy butler a little bit of a reminder about going into the lane with absolute impunity let's lay the wood on this guy if we're gonna (laughs) beat the miami heat we're not gonna beat them by you know uh trickery and advanced metrics and uh you know stats and all of the good stuff that you can beat other teams with if you're going to beat the miami heat you have to beat them in a dog fight because they are going to make it a dogfight fight no matter what i have absolute confidence in spo and jimmy to muck up the game and make it gross and ugly and bad so you have to beat them at their own game which means you have to get super physical with them but I don't want that to be Kristaps Porzingis. I don't want that to be Al Horford. I don't want that to be like the Celtics star players. Xavier Tillman, go goon mode on these guys. Come out and slap this dude around a little bit. And if you do that, I think you can very much beat the Miami Heat.
0: All right, well, that sets up question nine pretty well. I'll go, I'll ask everyone uh, for question nine and for question 10, so uh, brevity uh, perhaps. Is there a team in the East that the Celtics should be worried about? So Jake. You can bring back the Heat or you could have another team, or you can say no. You can say
1: no. The the short answer is no. They should not be scared of anybody. They in the Eastern Conference, in my opinion, are a completely different tier, tier of their own relative to the rest of the Eastern Conference. That being said, uh, I, I, I have my rankings. They they're they're kind of moving around, uh, depending on, on each day, but the the Heat are number one. For me, as far as like teams, if I prefer to avoid, like I'm constantly hoping the Heat win games so they get up into the sixth seed because that means that we don't have to play them until the conference finals. I did have the Knicks at number two because my philosophy on how you beat the Celtics is you short-circuit the Celtics' offense. Um, That's how they lost in the finals against Golden State. That's why the series against Milwaukee went for to seven and Miami, it's like if you can short-circuit their offense, cause turnovers, get them stuck in the mud, that's how you beat them. If you can't get stops against the Celtics, you can't beat them that's kind of been true for the last three seasons now, um, which is why I was kind of scared of the Knicks, but I'm I starting to waver. I know that they've got injury issues, but like Randall's going to try and play through this shoulder thing. Uh, he's like, at play one of like my, my historical playoff droppers. Um, I just don't believe a, a team whose best player is six foot one in Brunson can beat this Celtics team. Um, and so I come back, so now I've got the bucks at number two, just from like Giannis Antetokounmpo is the second best player in the world. And, uh, He's just a monster, so I'd have him at two. But broadly, I'm like the East. In theory, assuming health, should be a cakewalk, in my opinion. Touch wood. Alex what about you?
3: I have the exact same order. Um, I think the Heat are the one, the team that should easily be most feared from Celtics fans because Pat Riley made a deal with the devil. That's he right. exchanged some sort of sacrifice, either human or goat, or maybe a little bit of both uh to some sort of demon probably back in the like mid 2000s to get dwayne wade his first championship to bring lebron to the heat and to bring jimmy butler to the heat he did all of this i'm certain of this and you know the power of satan is real it's difficult to beat that it's difficult to go up against raw devil magic um but light finds a way and i believe (laughs) um and then, of course, the Bucks have Giannis, who's really good. Um, and outside of that, yeah, the rest of the East does not, does not really move me.
2: It would be incredibly dull uh, podcasting to say I completely agree, which I do. But I do want to say that I am a little bit more afraid of a healthy New York Knicks team. The question is, are they ever actually going to be that healthy?
0: Yeah, I think the Knicks, because Brunson is small and they are unhealthy, it's not going to happen. But uh, I think I've said this a few weeks ago. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if Boston was down like 0 2 to the Knicks because they look like a team that can really punch you on the jaw. And then Boston would have to scrap back. Um, the Miami, I mean, the Miami Heat, sure, the Heat uh, have my aberration. The Milwaukee Bucks are sneaky, uh, quite electric on offense. They take the second or the they take the second most threes in the East. They hit third highest three point percentage in the East. They play with the second fastest pace. Not only do they have you honest, but that also introduces more variance. Um, so if look, if the Celtics are dramatically better than all the other teams, mucking things up by getting uh, feisty is one way to do it. Getting uh, physical is one way to do it, but also running fast. I mean, the, the Bucks are conceivably like a better version of the Pacers. Um, so I don't know. Giannis is really dang good. He's really hard to stop. And this offense is starting to click. So if the prompt is using the word worried, I'm willing to throw the Bucks in there. My
3: my hottest possible take, which I'm going to drop right now, is that um, if the Bucks get the Pacers in round one, they're not making it out.
1: Hell yeah. I want that oh. series so bad. Amazing. i just
3: there's something about the pacers that they just mentally have something going on with this bucks team i really think they're going to win that
0: series
1: It's well, hot it's I like very that. possible it's very possible that's what that's what we get because like they're six seven and i would I would love that
0: we really wish our favorite uh easter conference matchups for a future podcast episode all right um, one more question for you we'll, we'll get everyone's opinion here. Is it's still February so Boston can still add a player uh, by way of bio who can make a postseason roster or a free agent or a two way guy so they got options so what pray tell are the Celtics going to do with that final roster spot and what should they do so Jake what do you think happens and what should they do
1: my guy is Otto Porter Jr. So, there's there's two like there's the vibes version and like if we can't get on a Porter Junior, according to reports, he's healthy. As you said, Alex, like most likely, whoever we bring in is not going to play either way. So I'd rather swing upside wise. Like let's say cause Otto Porter, Porter, I think I looked, he's like 32 still. Like he's mm-hmm. like not old. Like if he's able to get healthy, um, he was literally on a championship team unfortunately that built beat the Celtics like less like two years ago. And so he has the pedigree, the veteran leadership. That's a guy that I think you don't think of as like an upside swing, but I think as a buyout guy, someone that has a legit championship experience and if he's able to get healthy, I think could legitimately help you in a final series. And so that's my number one guy, like by, by mile. And then Blake Griffin, just, just come on if we can't get Otto Porter for the vibes.
0: You've got the mustache to, the, that's a credible right. mustache you've got there. Um, Alex, you. what about you? I'm going to throw a name out there that I think has
3: not been mentioned a whole lot. But if you're looking for vibes, championship experience, and hey, I bet this guy could still probably hit a shot if needed. Danny Green is not doing anything right now. He's just kind of sitting around, hanging out, vibing. And that guy has won a lot of rings. He has, in oh. fact, won four of them, I think. No, at least three. One with Toronto, one with the Lakers. So he's won three rings with the Lakers, the Raptors, and the Spurs, respectively. But Danny Green's just chilling. He's not doing anything. And it's not like he's going to be asked to roll out there and play a whole lot. Why not bring in Danny? See if he can get a fourth. I like that. And
1: I think Dr.
2: Quinn's frozen.
1: Yeah, it looks be like frozen.
2: It... Okay. I. I think I'm back. Yes, you Am are. Am I back? Okay. So we've already determined that the correct answer is for Concord Maz on a previous podcast. Uh, I would <laughs> not be upset about that possibility, but I do think that it would be interesting to try to sow the seeds of some cheap future talent by taking a former lottery pick and trying to rehabilitate his value. Know exactly uh, in one right. Killian Hayes.
0: Cool. I love that.
3: It's over. I'm not going to help it's this not, year.
2: I'm not going to help this year.
3: It's not happening. It's not happening. I'm sorry, Killian Truthers. I'm sorry, Kevin O'Connor. <laughs> it's not He's happening. He's never going to be a good that player, but I think he could be a
2: good second or third guard.
0: Well, while we're talking about things that aren't going to happen, why doesn't Patty Mills take a buyout from the Hawks and come join Now we're center? talking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: Pritchard Insurance.
0: Yeah, I mean, one feisty guard to another, at least yeah. like, you don't have to radically change how the bench looks. And he's a dude with championship experience, and it's just cool. He's a cool guy. He's
3: a
1: legend. Pokushevsky yeah. is
3: also out there. Just throwing that out.
1: I saw, Ooh. I saw there's something about that today. I, I didn't look into it, but is that, that's that a real thing? I don't. So I, I think he, well,
3: yeah. I think he's been waived, and I think they're yeah. still waiting to see if he passes waivers.
2: Okay. That is correct, but he's never going to play on Boston. I mean, like they wouldn't even be able to find time. Like they would be able to find time for my little pet project. I just mentioned, I think probably most realistically, neither of those kinds of guys are going to end up on the Celtics just because of the way that they're structured. But I would be actually into seeing either one just again for cheap future depth insurance. Yeah,
1: there is, there is definitely an argument to be made for bringing in someone that is young, Similar to like you know the Walsh Springer thing, it's like the CBA is going to be very prohibitive for the Celtics to kind of make moves, and so you have this pipeline of guys that are in their late teens, early twenties, and you hope that one or two of them hit. Maybe you can rehabilitate Killian Hayes. I don't, like I don't, I don't think he's going to be good, but I would, I don't hate it because like maybe in this system they're able to kind of fix him a little bit. And so, like, it's it's worth uh, a swing potentially. But yeah, I like I don't I don't hate that. If you can't find a veteran that can potentially help you,
0: it's going to be a guy we haven't thought of or even heard of yeah, because that's how course. Brad Stevens moves. Um, Jake, before I do like a full outro, you've been doing these like so, so, how do you, how would you describe the casts that you're doing? Oh right. so,
1: yeah, yeah. So if, if you're not familiar with Playback, it's his new streaming platform. That you essentially you, you we do Celtics watch parties. So uh, you watch, you have the normal game. You have Gorman and and Scal. You got two volume bars, and then you have me and a co-host in the bottom left corner. And it's kind of like watching the game with your friends, but also like with a bit of a podcast feel to it. And there's a live chat, and uh, yeah, we get people up at halftime, and it's just it's literally Celtics watch party. Party is like definitely the the word for it. It's like a super fun time. There's a bunch of us in there. So yeah, uh, Celtic, it's a playback.tv slash Celtics blog. If you want to um, uh, get get on on that, like it's super fun. You just got to connect your league pass. But um, yeah, absolutely get in there. It's uh, it's a really fun way to watch the game. If you're like not, it's mostly I'm guessing for people that aren't from Boston or if like people that don't have people to watch the game with. Um, so, yeah, watch it with people from Australia, San Francisco, uh, the Netherlands. Like, there's people from all over the world in there. Um, just I'd do that. the Celtics. Yeah. That's sick.
0: I was going to ask, I didn't really understand how it was legal, but if you log in with your league pass, up that Yeah, that's <laughs> how. That yeah. All right. Well, yeah, uh, that's hosted by Celtics Blog, right? Yeah. Um, you can also catch Jake over at the First of the Floor podcast and Backdoor Cut. Um, first of the Floor it's Sister podcast. We also want to shout <laughs> out the How About Them Celtics podcast. For who sure. We love and also do pregame shows that are quite good. And sometimes you will see you walking behind Jack, so you can check yes. that out. Um, I, would, I would also like to tell people that this episode of the Celtics App podcast is brought to you by Prize Picks. You can download the Prize Picks app today and use code CLNS for a first deposit match up to one hundred dollars. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Everyone else and Jake. Thank you for Jake, all of Australia. Um, <laughs> thanks Happy for listening. Yeah. Hey. Anyway, until next time. Um, thank you, everyone, for liking and subscribing to this podcast. If you haven't, be sure to do that. Check out First of the Floor. Check out How About the Celtics? Check out Price Picks, and we will check you out
2: next week. Adios.